Our next reading is from Joshua, chapter 3, 1 to 17. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on the head of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exhort you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you, as I was, as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when they reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and he would certainly drive out before you, before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Paris, the Paris Perizzites, the Gerasites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, Choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the waters from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephan. While the water flowing down to the sea, the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossing over opposite Jer- so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Thanks be to God for his word. Think about Joshua for a moment, standing on the the bank of the River Jordan, looking across into the land of Canaan. It's his job to take the people into the land, to conquer the enemies and settle them in the land God has promised to give them. It's a daunting prospect to see the least. On his shoulders rests the responsibility for realising centuries worth of God's promises. 
And up until now, the whole focus of attention has been on, you know, what we're going to do when we get into the land of Canaan. Are we going to be able to withstand the enemies that will confront us there? Will God deliver on his promises? What will happen when we get into the land? But Joshua has a more immediate problem. Never mind about what happens when we get across to the land of Canaan. How are we going to get across the river? Uh, Because the river at that time of year was in full flood. And you only discover that quite late on in the story, actually. It's only as the people are are moving down towards the river that the narrator says, actually, harvest time, the river Jordan was in full flood. You go, my word, I didn't realise they'd have to face that particular issue to get across. It's the first time you were aware of it. And that sense of slight disorientation, being disconcerted, kind of, if you're identifying with the people, that sense of, oh my word, I didn't realise they'd have to cross the river when it was flooded. Maybe they felt exactly the same way when they got to the river and saw it was flooded. Oh my word, how on earth are we going to get across this? All the attention has been focused upon, what are we going to do when we get into the land? Suddenly, how are we going to get into the land in the first place? And for Joshua, this is the first and crucial test of his leadership. And I've always kind of felt a little bit for Joshua at this point in time, because he's, he's brought the entire nation into the sight of the Jordan River. And they get there, and they find the rivers flooded. And, and there's a sense in which there could be no turning back at this point. The credibility of his leadership is at stake. He can't turn to the people and say, oh, I didn't realise the river would be in flood. Let's go away back into the wilderness for the next few months and wander around until the waters have subsided and then come back and have another go. That would have undermined his credibility in everyone's eyes. And you can imagine the anxious conversations that are going on throughout the camp. Have you seen the river? How are we all going to get across that? How are we going to manage to get into the land? There's no way we're going to do it. What's Joshua going to do? So many questions, no answers. And for Joshua, this must have been a very lonely moment. And they spent three days there. And the longer they waited, the more the sense of unrest and uncertainty must have increased. And on the third day, Joshua sends a message throughout the camp. Consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow, God is going to do something amazing. And the practical instructions were that when the people saw the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the priests and the Levites, they were to move out their positions and take their places a thousand yards behind it. It was a visible and practical way of following God into the unknown. Because as Joshua puts it so well, you've never done this before, you've never been here before. The practical details about sorting themselves out and falling in behind the Ark are there, but the significant instruction is, consecrate yourselves. Make yourselves holy. Get ready for God to do amazing things amongst you tomorrow. Creating a sense of readiness or preparedness of expectancy. Tomorrow is to be the big day. And Joshua clearly understands what's going to happen. He believes that when the the priests and the Levites carry the ark, they get down to the river, and as they walk into the river and their feet touch the water, the river will dry up. The ark of the covenant of the Lord the creator of heaven and earth, the waters will stop for him and the people will be able to pass over on dry ground because this this is the sovereign Lord that they're dealing with. And the entire enterprise would conclusively demonstrate whether or not God was with Joshua in the same way he was with Moses because Moses led the people across the Red Sea on dry ground. Joshua would lead the people across the River Jordan on dry ground. And if it worked, 
people would know God was with Joshua, but it had to be a big if, I guess. Because there could be no um, dummy run. There could be no rehearsal. There could be no saying to the priest, well, you carry the ark down just just secretly and, and see if it works. And if it works, then we'll know that we'll be able to manage it with everybody the following day. No, there was no chance to do that. It was one shot he had. And it really was a step of faith. Everybody had to be marshaled and got ready and actually without any authority save that he felt God had promised he was going to do this, he took the people down towards the Jordan River. And if if nothing had happened, or worse, if the ark had been swept away, that would have been a complete and utter disaster. How did Joshua know what to do? We're not told, but for my money, he spent those three days, they camped by the Jordan River, in prayer. So that when the time came to say, come on, let's go, he knew, as far as he could be sure, he knew that this was what God was saying they should do and how they should do it. And that time spent in prayer was crucial because as soon as he gave the order to consecrate themselves, he was committed. He needed to be absolutely sure about what God was saying to him. I don't suppose Joshua got a lot of sleep that night before the big day. Uh, In the morning, God says something he really needed to hear. Today, God says, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. And it would have been kind of God if he had said that to Joshua first thing in the morning, like, you know, before the sun was up, before anybody else was awake, God says, actually, Joshua, it's going to be okay. Uh, But God doesn't do that. He only says that to Joshua after he said to the priests, right, okay, you get up, you pick up the ark, and you start to walk down towards the river. And then God says, Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you. It's only once he's set the entire process in motion that he gets the reassuring word from God that God will exalt him in everyone's eyes. It's only then that Joshua gets the specific, gives the specific instruction that the priests are to walk straight out into the river because it's only when they're standing in the river that the flow of water will be cut off so everyone can cross safely. It's a massive lesson in faith. It's not just that Joshua has to believe the impossible, that the Jordan River will stop to let them all cross safely. It's also that he really has to go way out on a limb in terms of telling the people to get ready and telling the priest to set out before God gives him that comforting assurance that today, Joshua, it's going to be okay. Today, I'm going to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. Before he gets that word of assurance, he has to commit. He has to put all his eggs in one basket. He gets one shot at crossing the river, one opportunity to exercise his faith, and he has to do it in front of full view of everyone. And he only gets confirmation when the whole process has irrevocably already been set in motion. That's why Joshua is such a powerful model of faith and obedience. A man who earns our respect and our admiration and who sets us an example to follow. But at this point in time, as he gets everybody ready to cross the Jordan, he is very vulnerable. Everything is on the line for him. And he's very alone. Yet the God who called him and appointed him was faithful as he promised. And there are times when you will feel alone 
and vulnerable and exposed and way out on a limb and, and feeling, you know, God is asking me to do something and, oh, my word, so much is at stake. And sometimes it's only when you're well down the road that you get the reassurance, yes, this is the right path. I will be with you. It's going to be all right. But sometimes we just have to take those first few steps that are really, really hard, trusting that God will deliver as he promised. But the God who said he'd be with Joshua as he'd been with Moses is the same God who has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. And trusting him can sometimes mean putting everything on the line. And for those of us who like all our I's dotted and our T's crossed, before we do anything at all, find that really, really difficult to step out with all those loose ends and can't quite see how it's going to be resolved. Yet Joshua shows us what faith in action is like. On God's say-so, we start to move. And sometimes we have to go a good few paces down the road before we get any confirmation we're on the right lines. Yet for Joshua, confronted with the Jordan River, he knew there was no turning back. The only way was forwards. And as he put his faith in God and stepped out, he found that God was faithful to him. So whatever lies in front of us, whatever we feel God is calling us to do, whatever direction we feel we're being led, let's put our trust in God to lead us and be with us as he was with Joshua, as he was with Moses.